On the Empire Podcast this week, we have a moment of zen with the great John Stewart, Daily Show host, turn director, and Peter Firth and Kit Harrington pop in to talk about spooks, the greater good. The greater good. Plus, the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that helps keep editors sane as they work on big budget blockbusters, I've been told. I'm yeah, not working on a big budget blockbuster. You're not. You're not at the moment, are you? But no. Next week. One day. Mm. You never know. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week's two colleagues of such lethal cunning have been chosen at random by computer and verified by an independent adjudicator. First up is our geek queen, a lady whose moments of sin are plentiful and usually involve a fire-breathing Winchester or a shirtless dragon. It's Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. We've just been doing a periscope, which was a brave new step into a whole new technology. So mm. that was a, a thing that happened. It... <laughs> That was the thing that happened. Uh, we're on Periscope as, as at Emperor Magazine, as you might expect. And Helen and I just did a Periscope talking about Age of Ultron. We got lots of questions and whatnot. So uh, check it out. It's 20 minutes long. Also on the pod for the first time in ages and back by popular demand of one person in particular uh, is our film fact fiend. A man whose moment of sin comes when he prints out the IMDb after a long, hard day at work and just sits back in a nice hot bath with some candles and a glass of wine and has a good old read. Don't you, Ali Plum? Did I tell you the other day I downloaded the internet? You did. It took ages, didn't it? It did. It took a long time. And then, of course, I realised I'd actually hit print. <sighs> oh, so that's why there's no rainforest anymore. That's why there's no toner. <laughs> yeah, I think the toner was the biggest issue in the office, yeah. not the lack of rainforest, actually. Never print, never print the internet. How big is the internet? Five gigabytes? Six I'll gigabytes? let you know when it's done. Right, let's crack on with questions, because we don't have a lot of time, because Helen has to go to a Hindu, don't you, Helen? I do, yes. Uh, which I imagine uh, is going to be quite debauched. Oh, very much so. Uh, where is this Hindu? Winchester. It's in- <laughs> <laughs> Why is your Hindu? It's not your Hindu. It's someone else's Hindu. Uh, yes. But if you ever have a Hindu... Okay. Winchester. Winchester, definitely, yeah. 100%. Got to be. Let's not let jokes about Helen's uh, geek preferences drag on <laughs> any more oh, than they God. need to. Here's some questions. Uh, this is from at Cyril Le Lily Lee, who then provides pretty much the two definitive answers to the question. But anyway, let's give it a go. Uh, fave singing in car scene. Uh, Wayne and Garth doing Queen can't be beat, can it? Yes, it can, <gasps> he says. Partridge and Rochford. Um, okay, that's pretty much it. Well, that's that answer. Thanks a lot, Cyril <laughs> Lily. Um, I love those moments, Bohemian Rhapsody and Wayne's World, mm-hmm. and obviously Partridge at the beginning of the Partridge movie. Anything, anyone else? If we include buses, mm-hmm. hold me closer, tiny dance. From Almost Famous, indeed. Um, or also Party in the USA in Pitch Perfect. Or. Yeah. Uh, like great scene in Planes, Trains and Automobiles where uh, Del Griffin gets everyone singing Flintstones and then Steve Martin goes, three coins in a fountain and no one joins in. Oh. <laughs> Anyone notice? Anyone? Um, I also love Tom Cruise singing along to Free Fallen by Tom Petty uh, in uh, Jerry Maguire. Oh yeah, that he's was punching good. punching the steering wheel in triumph and he's singing, um, not brilliantly, but you know, it's fine. It's Tom Petty who's going to notice. It's all good. Anyone else? Any more for any more? There's no singing in it, but there's a great car scene in Singing in the Rain, but mm-hmm. they don't sing. But it, it's in Singing in the Rain, so it counts. So there you go. I'll allow it. <laughs> it may be uh, either we can't think of anything or this is the shortest uh, <laughs> subgenre of question we've ever had. Um, do we want to do one, one more question then just to sure. bulk it up a bit? Okay, here we go. From at Sam Garrett 7, who says, What are your favourite films about writers? I adore the words myself. 
That's nice. Mm. We just talked about Almost Famous. We Are do? we talking specifically about writers who existed in the real world? No. Not what I've downloaded no. off no, the internet? No, could be either. Just writing. Okay, okay, fine. I see what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have two I'd like to name. Uh, number okay. one, uh, Shakespeare in Love, because unlike Bloody Anonymous, it shows Shakespeare writing the plays of Shakespeare. Uh, Helen, I think you'll find uh, Shakespeare don't even start didn't write me. his own plays. Don't even start with he me. He had them dictated. No, stop. Secondly, um, I've forgotten. I'll come back to me. Adaptation. Oh, uh, Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. Yes, which I was discussing yesterday with a couple of our Twitter followers because we were discussing which film has the most future franchise stars in it. Yes. And Wonder Boys is a very, very strong contender. It has It obviously has Hank Pym uh, consulting with Rachel Dawes over his manuscript while (laughs) upstairs Spider-Man gets busy with Iron Man. He does, doesn't he? I think Dinah's a good shout for that question as well because what we've done here is found a different question which is slightly (laughs) more interesting than the original one but Dinah has quite a few franchisees in there Mm -hmm. or at least it was the proving ground for a lot of people. Whiplash is in there for Christ's sake. He is, yeah. Weirdly enough, someone actually sent in a question like this this week, but I was going to save it for another week. Uh, Here but we they, are. they used Starter for Ten as an example, which does have in that film uh, Professor X, uh, Doctor Maya Strange, Hansen, Doctor Strange, and the Baker off into the woods. Is uh, he in there somewhere? Moriarty, Alice. not Moriarty. Sorry, um, Mycroft Holmes. Mycroft Holmes and Alice Eve will almost certainly be someone in something at some point. Mm. We, you would think. Well, come on, she was in yeah. Star Trek. Star Trek. She was Star Trek. But yeah, but we're talking about, I think, superheroes. I think that was the idea. But yeah, Star Trek's also a good one. Uh, Adaptation's a great film about writing. Yeah, hugely. Love brilliant. that film. Um, Barton Fink. Yes. Mm, I find that a difficult watch, but it is a good film. Uh, and pretty much every single Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, novel, film, short story, thought, tweet is about writing or being a writer in some way. Jack Torrance, of course, is a writer uh, who experiences uh, writer's block that is way worse than anything Barton Fink has to deal with um, in pursuit of that Barton Fink feeling. I mean, there's still murder, whichever way you look at it. Is there. it murder, though, Helen? Really? Yes. You know, whatever you, you gotta do, whatever you gotta do to unblock the old, the old writing demons, write what you know. If you're gonna write a film about ramming an axe into a man's chest, then you gotta ram an axe into a man's chest. What, what kind of story have you been writing, Chris? This question actually rolls around one key focus point: yeah. Inkheart or bedtime stories? <laughs> <laughs> Inkheart, because Paul Bettany. Right. Well, if we're gonna mention that, then why don't we sneak in a Knight's Tale? Mm-hmm. Yes. Even though when you rewatch it, it's a lot less good than you remember it being. But there are some good bits in it. No, I refuse to accept that. I still enjoy it a Chris, lot. Chris, adjudicate. Oh, Lord. Okay, give me the give me the options again. Knight's Tale. Do you like it? Oh uh, yeah, it's really good. Hooray! Again, again, Helen, you can't you can't you know go for Inkheart on Paul Bettany grounds and then okay. dismiss a Knight's Tale. Inkheart. Well, no, I didn't dismiss a Knight's Tale. He dismissed a Knight's I Tale. Dismissed. I like a Knight's All Tale. Right, I wasn't um, I also have met one of the weasels from Inkheart. So, uh, well, yeah, claim mm. to fame there. We did, a, we did a big event a few years ago and we had animal panels, animal workshops, and they brought along animals from the movies. Wow. I also got to meet Crookshanks. Bloody um, hell. I know, Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen's dog from names. Hugo. I mean, these are the big stars. One of the squirrels from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wow. was a pretty awesome day. Chocolate squirrel. You were just, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. So that's answered the question. Yeah, I think so. But and several extra ones that nobody asked. The right stuff, obviously. The right. St- <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, Ruby Sparks. I may not have read that. There's, there's tons. There's tons of. I mean, I guess I all of Stephen King stuff. Woody Allen plays a writer a lot. A lot of times as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I'm not fond of films about the struggles of writers and about writer's block in general. Just because it comes so easily to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah writer's yeah. block comes really easily to me too. Come on, <laughs> Ali. Stop twisting my words, man. Yes. Why are you? That's not really a word, so I can't twist it. All right. Okay. There you go. Question answered sufficiently. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on now. Let's move on. Enough of that nonsense. Uh, if you want to have your question uh, answered on the Emperor Podcast in more detail next time, probably because, you know, someone has to get the train, um, then do send them in. We're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag podcast. Uh, no, don't use that hashtag. I'll be a wrong hashtag. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Uh, Facebook us uh, where we're Emperor Magazine. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. There you go. Uh, we've got uh, two guests this week. Time now for a first uh, set of guests. Uh, Spooks, the BBC's twisty, turny MI5 Nobody is Safe thriller, was hugely popular during its TV run. Uh, so it's no surprise, I guess, to see it head to the big screen with this week's Spooks, The Greater Good. The Greater, the greater good. good. The film sees Peter Firth, one of the few Spooks cast members who's still standing, return as Harry Pierce and get mixed up in all kinds of intrigue. While Kit Harrington takes a break from knowing nothing as Jon Snow on Game of Thrones to run around a bit as a scruffy James Bond. He really needs to get his hair cut, that boy. Honestly, it's just... Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, the duo popped into the pod booth recently to talk uh, to Ali and Phil DeSemlian about all things Spooks, The Greater Good. The greater good. The greater good. <laughs> we need to work on that timing, guys. Enjoy the interview. The past ten seasons of Spooks were uh, completely organic. Mm-hmm. That's one way of describing it, but another way would be on the hoof, made up set of threats of the week, which <laughs> which brought exciting television to um, to the BBC for for ten years. Um, literally made up. I mean, we in an, in an attempt to keep abreast of current affairs, we really would only have a loose script and shoot um, what we had and then add stuff as it happened. If you can dramatise what's happening in the news, then I think that's fascinating for an audience. We started some latter episodes with no script at all. We'd run out of ideas, and there was a lot of shots of Harry staring out across the Thames, <laughs> which could mean anything. Uh, and uh, and me looking at computer screens and saying, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Which was relevant in more ways than one. Which is relevant to everyone every day, looking at a computer screen, <laughs> saying, what the hell's going on? <laughs> but it actually, it sounds, it, I, don't, I don't mean to be flip, it was actually a great way to work, and, and it produced great television, I think. So um... I get the impression this film was less improvised, seemed to be very tightly plotted rather than just, yeah, let's see how this one goes. Well, when you're filming, there are um, a lot of people in suits who um, who want results? So they they will be less um, less mm-hmm. amenable to to um, improvisation, and so we stuck quite rigidly, I think, Kit, didn't we, to yeah. to the original script. Kit, am I right in thinking that your brother was a huge spooker? Hoops he was, fan. yeah, spookette. He was my go-to kind of spooks Wikipedia. And if you turned it down, would he have spoken to you again? Do you know what? When I when I sort of was approached to to maybe be part of Spooks and met Barrett, the director. I immediately went to my brother and and sort of and he in his response was best TV show ever, love it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> and um, I like to take the advice of those closest to me, and and that couldn't have become more sort of you know 
couldn't have been higher praise from my brother. So yeah, that's that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to be part of this movie. What other TV shows was he into? Has he, has he got plans for a MacGyver reboot for you? Or he's in he's big into his um yeah, he's big into his sort of cop dramas or spy thrillers. I mean spy movies as well. Um, so the Bill the movie is on its way. The Bill the movie. <laughs> Come on, does that happen? Uh, no, he. Um, his big ones were probably The Wire, which is an HBO, and, and Spooks. Those were his two kind of faves. And Peter, is it true that your that your nearest and dearest always found the idea of you playing Harry Pierce a bit far fetched in terms of your kind of natural skill set, uh, technologically speaking? Should we say? Well, yeah, I'd heard that um, an old friend, when informed that I had been appointed to the role of the head of counterterrorism at MI5, he ruminated for a moment and then said, improbable, (laughs) which kind of sums it up. Yeah, my tech savvy is um, non-existent, um, and uh, there's a great deal of me um, looking at screens and pressing buttons as if I know what I'm doing, but that's great acting. Though I say so myself. You leave it to Kit to get thrown into walls. There's one scene in particular, and again, I don't want to reveal too much here, where you essentially become one with a wall. You just, like, fly straight into mm. it, and the whole chunk falls out the plaster. Was that a one-take deal? Was that all you? Yeah, it wasn't meant to go through the wall, I don't think. I think was, really? It <laughs> wasn't a breakaway wall. That was <laughs> that was no acting required on nice, that. No. Actually, marvellous reaction from Kit when that happened, if you look. He was completely cross-eyed. Because <laughs> I was actually cross-eyed. <laughs> Wow. That's, that's something for the director's commentary going, yep, that's a bit of insurance that we didn't account for. Might have to pay for a new flat. Yeah. That's fine. But then when they know you're okay, they're like, great, that was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, can, can we do one more? Can we, have we got another wall we can put in quickly? Can we no. just get his eyes back into position? Yeah. <laughs> Look, we have to put this, in, this film into context a little bit without giving very much away. Kit, Will Holloway, we find him in Russia, mm-hmm. right? And Harry has gone off the grid, literally, in every sense. We see him, he's fallen into the river. There's a terrorist at large, and those threads come together. How? What do listeners need to know going into this movie? So, essentially, the largest threat in this movie is uh, a a terrorist called Adam Kasim, And he's a very sort of... um, He's an American, quite educated, you know, um, uh, young man who, who... has strong feelings about MI5. And at the beginning of the movie is released, is, and it's on Harry's call that he has to be released. So it, it, we find at the start that Harry is sort of on the run. And, uh, and I come in there because I'm a part of the story which we've not investigated in the Speaks of the TV show where you were friends of my father and worked with my father and has had a previous relationship with me and that he's decommissioned me from... MI5, but I'm the one person that may be able to help find Harry. And so MI5 bring me in to find Harry, and Harry utilises my skills in trying to deal with Kasim. That makes any sense? Well, yeah, it does to me. Thank yeah. God you've explained the plot to me. <laughs> Finally, part of Harry's relationship with, with Will, as, as far as I saw it, was that you kept giving him, not missions, but putting him in situations where you had to... You had to run a lot in this film, I noticed. You had mm. to run up a wall outside of a building, which is particularly impressive. Was that you yourself running, not up a wall, but up a car, then into a building? Yeah, I wanted... The, the, it sounds a little ridiculous, it's not meant to, but one of the reasons I loved the idea of doing this film was sort of getting to 
sprint around with mm. a with a gun and there were some great <laughs> stunts. There's that there's a brilliant and uh, we had a great stunt coordinator who put together some very realistic you know, mm. pieces of, of spy stunt work, you know, reversing car up, running up, kind of climbing up a building, mm. disarming people, getting heads smashed through walls. That's it, I, I love that part of filming and, and it was great to play a character who's very dynamic in that way. Mm-hmm. But also I think the difference between me and me and Harry Pierce, who everyone knows and loves and, and knows very well having seen the Spooks series, is that uh, he's his his skill is being emotionally mm-hmm. very being able to disconnect in, in a lot of ways and, and, and whereas Will's very good at the physical stuff is is an emotional wreck and, and that doesn't make him it makes him uh, is his large fault as a spy, I think. Barrett, in the lorry, the director mentioned the the scene where you run up the uh, when you climb up the side of the building. Mm-hmm. And I think there was an element of almost trepidation. Is there a? Is it rare that you get to do those kinds of things as an actor? Well, I found out just last night um, when we were filming that scene. I was there on that day, and there was a chance that the German distributor was about to pull their money from the shoot, which would have meant we couldn't continue with the film. Now they didn't tell Kit this because they. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he felt that I'm not going to do it if we're not. If we, you know, <laughs> but they kept that from you, didn't they? And off uh, up a building, and they're having discussions about it not being made. Yeah. <laughs> do we have the money to get him down? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you sounds like you would have done it anyway. I uh, yeah, I I love that, and that climbing stuff is just it's just like being a kid, isn't it? You yeah. Sort of get to do get to do things in comparative, you know, safety that lots of people would love to do. You do hear that, that that often you get your most dangerous stuff scheduled for like the last day of filming. That was the first day, and that was pretty dangerous. So I think they, you know, maybe we we'll get that down. And at least we've got when they pull the plug of the money, we've got someone climbing up. Yeah, but you're right. They usually do schedule yeah. dangerous stuff for the last week. So yeah, they? yeah, climbing up a building. The movie coming soon. <laughs> I watch it. It's fine. Peter Harry gets some amazing dialogue throughout throughout the ten seasons of Spooks. And, and there's a little bit of dialogue in this film that's right up there with the very best. Um, one of my favourite lines comes early on when he talks about the word of the IRA being as permanent as a fart in, the wi- in a wind machine. And another one where he says, fuck you, Derek, with bells on. Um, do you have any favourites that you can remember? Any favourite, oh Harry? Oh, my God. There's hundreds. Yes, I, I can't think of one now you've said oh, I'm that. sorry. It's a bit <laughs> on the spot. I don't even remember a fart in a wind machine. I don't think I would have liked... Did I say that? Yeah. That was, was short. I would have said, I don't think I, I didn't <laughs> Harry would say that. There's one in there's one in this movie which is particularly gruesome, isn't there? You have one line which uh, is yes, it's so gruesome. Your character questions whether it was too much. Yeah, which I love. <laughs> That's the one you're, we're referring to, yes. isn't it? We, Perhaps we shouldn't. We well, let's not give it away because no. it's a, it's a brilliant moment. I think in the film, it's, it's yes, yes. We showed it. We were in a screening last night actually, and there was a an audible intake of breath um, at that line. And a girl behind me said, a "Bit harsh." <laughs> <laughs> that was a great reaction to it. Yeah. You don't get people coming up to you on the street and just bellowing insults at you, like elaborate turns of phrase. That doesn't happen. Not insults. No, I'm very fortunate in the respect that anybody who approaches me in the street is always... Um, Reverential. Yes. And it's usually, I, on air, if I'm on a flight, people are very happy to see me. And say, oh, <laughs> see, we'll be all right. Harry's on board. <laughs> Do they come up with your technological problems, hoping you can fix them for them? <laughs> God, I'm not getting a reception on my iPhone. <laughs> I can stare at the screen. I've been asked by Jenny Agata to ask you about... Um, she, she sent an email and she said, 
I hope you asked how it was riding bareback in the snow. We did Equus together in Canada. It was during the Canadian fall and the weather turned cold very suddenly. Yes, we had a heavy snowfall on the night of that shoot and um, it was cold. Now, if you're appearing naked on screen, you want to put your best foot forward, as it were. Mm. And cold doesn't necessarily lend towards your feet being at their best. So um, I, I, it wasn't ideal, <laughs> but I managed to... Um, I think there was a bit of, um, bit of post-production there which helped. This was before CGI, though, presumably. Uh, a long time before CGI, <laughs> yes. But it's, uh, they could still do marvellous things. Obviously, what made it worse is halfway through the shoot, they uh, were discussing whether they had the money to make it, so they were thinking, oh, can we going to get rid of this? <laughs> you, but there's a strange kind of parallel in your careers in that you both kind of made a breakthrough at the National Theatre in plays about horses. I mean, I know that's very an arbitrary yes. thing to say, I but... I thought about that. Yeah, but, I had, but, yeah, but obviously, you know, you were... You were the star of War Horse at the National, yeah. and you were under Laurence Olivier's tenure in Equus, which was a role that sort of defined the early part of your career. I guess you, you just said you'd never spoken about that, but you, this, this film takes you back to the National in some ways, doesn't it? Yes. Did you... Uh, that's what, really, yeah. yeah. What was your auditioning process? I had to do six auditions for Laurence Olivier. Did you? Uh, and all of them were the same scene, which was the end of the first act, uh, climaxing on horseback. And <laughs> Sir Larry obviously uh, was enjoying this enormously. Do it again, dear boy. One more time. You know, <laughs> six times I did it. And, uh, Once you know, more with feeling. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, paid off in the end. You were, 20, you were 23 years old, not that experienced an actor, I guess, at that point. That must I, well, actually, then I was 19. Oh, 19? Yeah, Sorry. I was 23 when I did the film, but yes. 19 when I did the play. So, uh, the, But at that age, you know no fear. You know, I certainly didn't. It was, well, again, yeah, fine. Problem. Was that your experience, Kit, as a, as a young actor doing... I mean, I guess you didn't have the same sort of audition, but for War Horse... No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an inappropriate play, yeah. Um, I auditioned three times, which seemed terrifying each time. It's big, you know, big big part in the national straight out of drama school. Um, six is a lot. Yeah, six is a lot. Yeah. And I actually found out I'd got the job because I went... In those days, there was a pub right next door to the stage door at the Old Vic. It was called the Queen Victoria. And it was kind of a green room for the actors. The actors were always in there. In fact, they even had a tannoy in there um, so that you knew what was going on on stage so you could be off in the pub while you were supposed... You know, if you were off stage and you'd know when your cue was coming up, you'd see people rushing out suddenly and then come back after their scene. And I'd gone in there and uh, waiting to hear what had happened. The stage manager came in who was an, an old boy, and he said, uh, you've nailed that. And that was, I knew then at that point that um, I, I'd be doing the role. I guess there comes a point when, when you're a little older and wiser or maybe less youthfully sort of positive that auditioning six times for Laurence Olivier in a scene like that would probably be a bit overwhelming. Yes, um, although actors will do anything for a gig. Fair enough. And then, of course, you went on and, and got an Oscar nomination for your role in the, in the, in the movie for Sidney Lumet. That's right. Who is I, one of my favourite directors. I know one of sure. Ali's favourite directors. Yes, he, mine too. He, he, I've never obviously met him, but he seems like one of the, one of the best people to work for. Is that your experience? Or? Uh, yes, an, an absolute um, thrill to work for him. I mean, I've been a fan beforehand, and uh, he's an extraordinarily ordinary man in many ways. Uh, has a fantastic working technique, which is to rehearse, very unusual in film, 
you'd have a couple of weeks rehearsal and then go into shooting. And largely you only get one take. Um, but everybody knows that. So everybody's ready when it comes. And you do one take, and if there's not a major catastrophe in it, you move on to the next. It's a fantastically economical and exhilarating way to work. So your options are nail it or make it a catastrophe. Exactly. So were you ever halfway through a take and going, this isn't good enough as I want it to be, and then just fuck it up? Uh, I would never admit to that. (laughs) (laughs) And you were Oscar-nominated alongside some greats. I mean, Jason Robards won that year, but... But you were you were running up against Alec Guinness who for Obi Wan Kenobi. Yes. What was the Oscars like that year? Well, my dreams were somewhat shattered because we pulled up in a limo, and I had a, a publicist with me, and there was a a whole bank of bleachers with cheering crowds on, and I got out of the car and said, "Who are these people?" He said, "They're your fans." I said, I don't have any fans. This is my first film. He said, well, no, actually, they're extras who are hired to, to cheer for the, the arriving actors. And my whole illusion of the Oscars just collapsed at that moment. You know, it seemed, okay, it's a commercial enterprise. It's not really a, a meritorious um, award ceremony. You know, it kind of colored the whole evening for me. So, um, so I wasn't too disappointed when... Uh, when it didn't come to pass. But it was great to be there. The, the amazing thing was I met all the great and the good because they're all there. Uh, it, certainly in those days they were. the great, All the great stars from the 40s, 50s and 60s were all still alive then. And, of course, they all attend the, the Academy Awards. And as a nominee, you meet them all. Yeah. So I met incredible people and that was, that was thrilling. Um, I think we have to wrap up at that point. But um, thank you both very much for coming in and chatting to us about Spooks, the Great Good. Thank you. Much thank appreciated. You. I mentioned that I actually was at Finsbury Bowl, which is a bowling alley in Finsbury Park. I know it well. And I bumped into mm. Kit Harrington. <gasps> he didn't look like he was enjoying himself <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, honestly, I don't think he liked it. I think a lot of people were Game of Thrones fans in the room, mm. and I kept coming up to him and asking them to sign stuff. Wasn't ever any of it. I, yeah. Mm. Mm. No. Did anyone die horribly? Yes, a brutally bludgeoned to death with a bowling ball. Oh, like mm. like in Daredevil. While we're talking about spooks, because we kind of are, uh, Phil Disemlian has put together an incredible spooks oral history, an oral history of the TV show, uh, speaking to pretty much every major player on the show over its uh, over its run, uh, from Peter Firth to Lisa Faulkner, Richard Armitage is in there as well, Jenny Agutter is in there as well. Phil now has Jenny Agutter's email address. <gasps> and they just... Blithely pop emails back and forth to each other as if, you know, they've been old friends all their lives and it's it's really annoying. He <laughs> even spoke to the uh, deep fat fryer. He did. Uh, T-Fowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know your spooks, you won't know that reference, but... Um, you're better off. You're, yeah. Because it's gross. It is gross. Let's move on to talk about some movie news. Um, interesting one this week that... Um, not really confirmation necessarily that there's a Boba Fett movie on the way. But it looks like there's a Boba Fett movie on the way. Now, Helen is, <laughs> I'd say, Boba Fett's number one fan. <laughs> Num- if not number one. Definitely. I think you've said, uh, I think I've heard you say something about Boba Fett being a big number two. So uh, maybe I was getting confused. <laughs> but It's something like that. Helen's yeah, yeah. business card says, Helen O'Hara, Boba Fetishist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I find him frustrating. I, no, I find the inexplicable to me adoration of Boba Fett uh-huh. inexplicable let's <laughs> let's revise guys I find that sentence he turns up for 10 minutes 
picks up a frozen dude um, and then falls into a giant worm. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yeah. In the films, he is objectively rubbish. Now, you can talk to me all you want about how the, the toy had a cool jetpack and how in the extended universe he's really cool. Oh, who cares about the extended universe? Don't care about any of that. In the films, Aside from this new he's movie. rubbish. And here's what every man says to me when I say this. They say, oh, but he's the one guy who talks back to Vader. No, he isn't. And also, he barely talks back to Vader. And Vader was just in a good mood that day and decided not to force choke him. It's no big deal. Vader was very, very happy because he was just about to see his son for the first time in, in ages. Exactly. He was just like, oh, he won the pools. Yeah, he had one that... That just shows Boba Fett's stupid. It doesn't show that he's brave. Yes. Uh, well, I don't... I, I'm not entirely on board with your Boba Fett hate, but neither am I a Boba fetishist, as Ali <laughs> says. Um, yeah, I, I think the character is fine. I liked him as a kid because he looked cool. And yes, Helen, he jet had pack. a jetpack. <laughs> and that was pretty fun. Um, but no, he does, he does more than just hang around for 10 minutes and then pick up a frozen dude, as you say. He tracks Han Solo. Do you know how difficult that is? This is a man who did the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, and Boba Fett <laughs> tracks him down. This is a man who was on the run in the first movie from Jabba the Hutt, and he was approximately 25 feet from Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> so you know, it's probably not that easy, difficult to track in the, in the, in the long run. But uh, Bob is a little, a little cooler than that. But the problem with that is... The problem with this this movie, and by it has by no means been confirmed, is that what can they do? Mm-hmm. We know Boba Fett's origin story. Mm-hmm. We know he grows up to become Tamura Morrison. Mm-hmm. Tamura Morrison must be the happiest man on the planet right now. <laughs> he must be just looking at his phone, going, "Ring, please ring." I think please. they might recast the role. No, which makes me wonder who will get the Boba job. <laughs> The way you set that up was beautiful, though. So, well done. I can, I can attest that <laughs> Ali has not written down. any of these down. <laughs> Honestly, you, you've come... Your, your pun game is strong today on this particular topic. You don't think uh, it being Star Wars is a bit forced? <laughs> that's broken, Chris. <laughs> no, that's just the sound of a man who regrets not thinking of that himself. Ali, I don't know if you want this to be public, but you passed your driving test this week, didn't I you? I certainly did. Uh, does that mean your Audi Chlorian count is very high? It's very high. I did get five minors for puns. <laughs> uh, he really, he did not like that. He said, you got no other minors, but you did keep making terrible puns. We don't call them minors in the Star Wars podcast, we call them younglings. <laughs> One thing we should say about the Boba Fett movie as well is that Josh Trank will no longer be directing it. Uh, he left the project. Uh, it must have been after we recorded last week's podcast, I That's guess. Right. I believe so. Um, otherwise, we would have talked about it. Uh, he left the project uh, citing personal reasons. There have since been articles on the internet, you can look up, that say that there's a little more to it than that, that he has been a bad boy on the set of Fantastic Four and that Lucasfilm deemed him ultimately uh, untrustworthy and perhaps uncontrollable. Now, that's just scuttlebutt. That's just rumour. Um, so we can't we can't say that for sure. Um but it certainly is interesting. When he, did, when he didn't show up for the celebration panel a couple weeks ago, it was meant to be him and Gareth Edwards talking about their spin-off movies, their anthology movies, and he didn't turn up, and people started to go, ooh, not sure this is going to happen. And lo and behold, it's not going to happen. What do you think about that? 
I mean, I think it's it's a surprise it doesn't happen more often in some senses in that you get people going from... I mean, Chronicle is a great film, but it was a $12 million budget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's gone straight to Fantastic Four with what, conservatively, 10 times that, uh, possibly 15 mm-hmm. times that budget. Um, and that is a huge leap. And it's not just a huge leap in, in terms of the number of things you have to juggle. It's a huge leap in terms of the pressure on you, in terms of the interference with what you're trying to do, in terms of the, the number of people questioning your every decision. And I think that's got to be tough for anybody. And I'm surprised, actually, genuinely, that, that more people don't have what sounds like a little bit of teething trouble making that leap, if if these reports are indeed true, which, as we say, they may not be. Um it, it may be that he, you know, he needs to just sort of take a moment, take a breath, and then and then look for a, another project. But going straight from one enormous project to to the next might actually be a tougher job than we we sometimes give it credit for. I think mm, absolutely. Uh, but we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting yeah. to see which director uh, takes his place because I think Lucasfilm so far have have made good choices with the directors and. Uh, so hopefully do well on that one. Uh, just a few more stories to get through. The, the Star Wars stuff um, kind of spun out this week. Uh, we don't normally like to mention other magazines on the Empire Podcast, but um, Fantasy Fair is a small, tiny little magazine that, that needs all the help it can get. So they have they they have a Star Wars um, story in this this month's issue. Uh, they talk to some people and and and. Uh, uh, J. Abrams or something. I don't know who people, some people anyway. But also in that story, they talk about uh, Kathleen Kennedy uh, confirms a new Indiana Jones movie will happen at some point. Now, we kind of talked about this a lot on the podcast. We but, kind of knew it already, yeah. but this is kind of more confirmation if you wanted some more confirmation. And what do you think we're going to do? Not make another Indiana Jones movie or not do something Indiana Jones? Yeah. If you look at the Lucasfilm back catalogue, there are a few properties that aren't so exciting. Ready mm-hmm. Lamp Murders? Hello. Willow. I love Willow. So you hang on, you don't like Boba Fett, but you do like Willow. Yes, Mad Mardigan would kick Boba Fett's ass. There, there you go. I said my phone just fell over. It was so stunned by what you just <laughs> said. I can't believe that. But Indy Jones, as I think he's called, I think there will be a movie about this guy. I think but, it's Inigo but, Jones. But, but, but who's gonna? But who's gonna pick up uh, his famous sword? <laughs> we named the dog Indigo. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you know. It would be great if they could do it. I don't think it'll be Harrison Ford. Obviously, Sean Connery has ruled himself out because he's on a ride-on mower right now. Do you want to hear what that sounds like? I do indeed. Okay, it sounds a little bit like this, guys. That sounds like a strummer. Sorry, that was wrong. Yes, you were absolutely right. That was Sean Connery cutting the hedge with a strimmer. I'd better pick those up now. Anyway, there's also, there's, there's also news, because I know we don't have too much time, but there's also news of Martin Freeman being cast as Spider-Man <laughs> in Captain America Civil War. I'm being silly. What am I like? Only a little bit silly. He's actually just been cast in a role that hasn't been specified in Captain America Civil War, which looks like it's going to be bigger than any Avengers movie that we've seen so far. This is going in, intercontinental. Obviously, we've got the Black Panther in this one, mm-hmm. and he is from... A country that we saw in Avengers. Wakanda. Wakanda. Oh, now, we didn't see the country in it. We saw South Africa, we know that. Mm. What I would like to see is Martin Freeman playing the first British superhero mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe. I would like that. I don't think he's Captain Britain, but he could be Office Man. 
That would be good. <laughs> Put your stapler in Jelly Man. That would be sardonic eyebrow man. Look at the camera yeah. guy. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Tim from the Office Man. Hairy feet bloke. Well, if Dawn of Justice can be a, a character in the DC universe, Tim from the Office can be a one in this one. The first British superhero. I think Thor and Division might beg to differ, my friend. Well, but neither's, you know, on his necessarily passport. on his passport. It says Asgard. Yeah, Thor doesn't have a passport. He but if he did, one. doesn't need one. Yeah, who's going to argue with him? In fairness. Yeah, the vision. Okay, vision might be a, a tricky one, but they they sound British. Look, as I, British as Tim Henman, and strawberries and cream, and Greg Rudetsky, Greg Proops, <laughs> all the Gregs, basically Wallace, the the well-known beggars, all good. I feel about Martin Freeman the same way that Soderbergh feels about Don Cheadle. Um, if you can put Martin Freeman in your movie, then then do so at once. And you know, I, I have to wonder now about Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. You know, they had the Sherlock universe together. They had the Hobbit universe together. They now have the Marvel Cinematic Universe together. Is it a buy one, get one free? How does it work? <laughs> buy one, get one Freeman. Yeah. How did I miss that? I apologise. Pun plum. Um, sorry, 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 I wasn't listening. <laughs> um, but this is interesting. Helen, you and I had a chat with someone who should remain nameless a couple of weeks ago after seeing Age of Ultron for the first time. And this someone was very angry about Benedict Cumberbatch being Doctor Strange. Uh, because... Um, was they, it Martin they, Freeman? They, it wasn't Martin Freeman. They were upset because he was in many franchises at once. And, and Martin Freeman's in just as many now as, as BC. Yes, he's, but no one is ever going to complain about Martin Freeman being in anything. Yeah, he's making a real hobby of it. <laughs> um... He's also Arthur Dent. I mean, like... Just... He is. <laughs> I can't wait for the sequel to that. Oh, I genuinely like that film. smash. I love I it. I really like that film. But yeah, yeah. do we think... Uh, hopefully he'll play, like, someone who will come between Captain America and Iron Man, not in that way, um, but someone who will maybe set in stone maybe the Superhuman Registration Act. Who knows? Could be. Who knows? But yeah, good Good to see him in the MCU. Okay. Um, I've got something that's nothing to do with franchise, but I just want to mention it. Come what? on, man. You might have heard of Nick Park, you might have heard of Ardman, you might have heard of Sean the Sheep, you might have heard of many different things that the uh, lovely people at Ardman have done. They're doing a new one, it's called Early Man, it's about prehistoric cave dwellers who of course, in something that scientists will happily refute, live with dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is a little similar to a project over at Pixar, which is also... Mm humans and dinosaurs yeah. but this is going to be stop motion which is excellent yeah uh, and doesn't have a specified release date yet but it's called early man that's interesting didn't they develop the crudes originally yeah the crudes was so, crude awakening yeah with john cleese with john cleese yeah. so i wonder if this is taking the bits of that project that you know they still loved and didn't really get used in the final film there and and mm-hmm. You know, doing something with them it's curious mm. i mean these things take a lot of time and you can't make a decision Lightly, if you're in the stop motion business, you can't go, you know what, I'm going to give this a pump. Uh, but I'm excited about it. It's a totally new IP, as they probably don't say down in Bristol where they make those things. But yeah, I'm excited. Anytime they make a film, exciting. It's great. Yeah. It could also become a franchise, who knows. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time. Um, the Suicide Squad picture that, that, that hit the internet last week with um, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, um, Jai Courtney, Joel Kinnaman, all and all them standing around... Uh, uh, you know, waiting for Panto season. What, what do we think of that? Do, do we do we like that one? Do we, do we, um, the internet was a bit split, wasn't it? Between yeah. it's terrible and it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> I, uh, but what, what, what do we think? I was initially impressed and then I kind of looked closer and there are a few standout people that really fit, like Margot Robbie as uh, Harley Quinn. I mm. thought, yes, I really like what you've done there. That's kind of interesting. And uh, a few others, Deadshot, I, I was, okay, I, I know what's going on here. 
But then Will Smith looked very uncomfortable. Uh, he didn't look happy. And there were just a few... You wouldn't look happy, though, if you were dead, Sean. Okay, maybe not happy is what I'm looking for, but you didn't look comfortable. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just started noticing little details that didn't quite fit for me. But, it, I mean, it's an impressive array of people. Uh, I just wonder whether, again, they're throwing in too many characters to begin with. Mm. Why not have three or four or five max and then add more on in the sequels? It just seems to be everyone there from the beginning. I hadn't fully figured out how many characters were in this film. It's yeah. interesting that they've shown this picture so early. The movie's just started filming. It's not out for a year and a half, and here's a picture. Um, That's hardly could, that early anymore, really, I guess, is it? but you could read into that all sorts of things, I guess. Uh, and speaking of things that are happening very, very early, uh, uh, I'm loving the cast of Magnificent Seven, by the way. Uh, I think Anton Fuqua is putting together a quietly very, very good cast. I'm very interested to see what that movie's going to be like. So obviously it's Denzel Washington, it's uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as the bad guy, it's uh, Chris Pratt, it's Ethan Hawke, so it's training day two, but on horseback. <laughs> um, and this week, Jason Momoa and uh, Byung-Hung Lee were added to the cast as well. So yeah, it's getting good. So you might want to brush up in the cast because that will be a quiz question in years to come. <laughs> Can you name the seven members of both Magnificent Sevens? Ooh, that's going to be tough for everybody. Can you name the Magnificent Seven? No. Okay. Spider-Man directors, uh, there was some scuttlebutt this week that um, I thought Drew Goddard was the director of the Spider-Man reboot over at Sony. Uh, that seems to have changed. And there's a group of people who are now being linked with it, including Jared Hess of Napoleon Dynamite fame. And yeah, I feel a bit weird about that because I thought the reason why Drew Goddard left Daredevil was so he could do this and yeah. then it's kind of been pulled out from under his feet. So what's he doing now? Should we give him a bell? I don't so. think he'll be short of work. He's he's so blooming good. And he's so mm. prolific as well. He seems um, like a better fit than anyone on the list. But. I mean, Jared Hess would suggest they're going for a more comedic tone, potentially, obviously. Um, and there, I also saw a rumour, and I don't know how true this is, that they're talking about doing a film for every year of that Spider-Man's in high school. So four films between the ages of essentially 14, 15 and 18. Harry Potter! Yeah, I guess. But that means they're they're casting very young and they're keeping Spidey in high school for longer than the comics did, which is uh, interesting stuff indeed. Well, you know, it's all got to be different, hasn't it? It's got to be different. And of course, there's a rumour that the, the new film will be called Spider-Man, the new Avenger. But yeah, just to quickly go through the list of people who are going to be uh, apparently discussed by Sony and Kevin Feige. Uh, Jonathan Levine, director of Warm Bodies. Mm. Okay. I yeah, like that film. Get yeah. that one. Yeah. Ted Melfi, director of St. Vincent. Uh, Pitch Perfect Helmer, Jason Moore, uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan M. Goldstein, the directors uh, and writers of the new Vacation movie, and Jared Hess. Uh, so, interesting. Interesting. Mm. Okay, so uh, is that it for movie news? I we think done? we've been pretty comprehensive. I think we've been comprehensive. We've covered all the news in Hollywood this week. Uh, so let's have our second guest, Mr. John Stewart, who has been a comedy legend for over a decade now. As anyone who saw him and Robert Rodriguez as a faculty will attest... He is, of course, the host of The Daily Show, the US satire sensation. Uh, but he's leaving the show later this year. Uh, you can't no. help but feel part of that, I know. Uh, Colbert and Stewart gone the same year. <sighs> you can't help but feel part of that was due to his desire to spread his wings, as evidenced by this week's Rosewater, which marks the comedian's debut as a director and the director of a serious film at that. So, yeah, so this is the story of a real-life journalist and Daily Show contributor, uh, Mazari... Maziar, sorry, Bahari, um, who was Iranian-born but lived, I think, in London, actually. He went to cover the 2009 um, elections when the Green Movement erupted in, re in reaction to the apparent re-election um, uh, of the president and, uh, and basically got locked up because, principally because 
the authorities took seriously a jokey Daily Show segment where Bahari was described as a spy. So I guess there's an element of kind of responsibility in uh, yes. in Stuart's decision to cover this. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the basic setup of the film. So it's about okay. his how he gets into that and then his relationship with his interrogator. There you go. That is Rose Water. This is John Stewart. Enjoy the interview. I am from one of the finest porn distributors in the world, Empire Magazine. Porn. Yes. Ah, yes. I am the, a porn the, merchant. Yes. Well, it's it's. We're not sure if it's porn. It's ish. We feel it's ish. Yeah. We look at it, we think, eh, that picture could be. It, it could, could be. It could well be pornography. Right, right, right. I should set this up because what I've done is, is just got straight in there. But in Rosewater, your film. Empire Magazine is, is absolutely a featured player. Perhaps could be nominated for Best Supporting Magazine. I was really hoping so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I no, mean, it's it's. In the magazine crucial. Oscars, it's certainly up there. And it no, appears twice, absolutely. I should point out. It just, yes. just, it is in the, I think it is in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything when right. it comes to Empire cameos. And I'm hoping that Empire takes the, the bait here and comes out with a swimsuit issue. Does oh. does certain things that take Empire to that next level. That would be wonderful. I yep. was enjoying, not to get in this too quickly, but mm-hmm. John Oliver was recently doing his uh, How Is This Still How a Thing? How Is This Still a Thing? And uh, How Is This Still a Thing? I would be proud if they went, How Is This Still a Thing? The Empire Swimsuit Edition. I think that would be a beautiful thing. And John would be the guy to do it. Oh, he so would. Yes. Uh, so we are here, obviously, to talk about Rosewater. And I've just handed you a bag of Maltesers. Yes. Which is another thing Also to do with featured in the film. Yeah, because... The film is a story of a man who eats Maltesers and reads magazines. Which is very boring. Which is why... Well, to be fair, that's mainly me you've just described. And yeah, I am boring. But we have to ask this question, which is yes. always a bit tough. Would you mind, please, setting up the film? So uh, the film basically is, is the story of a, uh, an Iranian and Canadian journalist who lives in London who goes to Iran to cover the 2009 elections, uh, has the unfortunate coincidence of doing a bit with The Daily Show, being arrested after the 2009 election and imprisoned in solitary confinement for 118 days and being shown the satirical bit that he did with our show as evidence that he is a spy and entering sort of this Kafka-esque world of uh, authoritarian regimes and solitary confinement and and his journey in in sort of recapturing his own humanity in this in this situation. And we see him in Iran with his video camera on the front lines, so to speak, seeing what's happening at that time. Right. Could you, in as many words, please summarize the state of modern Iran? Go. How many words do I get? Five? Seems nice. Good beards. Bottom John tasty. Uh, Iran is the backdrop of it, mm. but it really is a more universal story of how journalism has changed and how technology has democratized. Who is a journalist? And, and how regimes, authoritarian and otherwise, use institutional power to censor that. So while admittedly it's in Iran and this happened in Iran and it was there, it's, I think, a story that can be told and seen in, in many different places all around the world right now, unfortunately. Probably one of the most difficult times to be a journalist. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, not that my job not is. as a podcaster. Podcaster, no. it's one of the best times. One of the best times to be a podcaster. So cushy. It's pretty uh, cushy. So when you were making a run, mm-hmm. was that a difficult challenge? Putting up the pictures and the paintings and kind of doing the set dressing for it was this? Uh, well, obviously Jordan is a is a Sunni mm-hmm. country, so you can't hang uh, a fifty by seventy foot mural of, yeah. of Ayatollah Khomeini on the street. And, and not mention to people what you're doing. They might, you know, they might, it might, it might create a bit of a fuss. Uh, so certain moments are, are artwork that's put in 
Ah. Later, it's, but I, I hate to give away the fact. That no, no, no. It I, may be movie magic. For, for me, I was curious because yeah. I thought I know I know John Stewart's got balls of steel, but this yeah. is impressive. No, we did not. Uh, we did not hang a giant mural <laughs> in a town square and invite people to come and march in front of it. Uh, but but we did uh, hang a giant green screen. Ah. Much to the confusion of individuals, but but in general, you know, one of the reasons we picked that area is that it had a geography and an architecture that was was similar mm. obviously not the same but similar uh i think that i wanted to help maziar tell this story sure and what i didn't realize is how much he and i were the only two that wanted that and it was very difficult to get you know because i have a job uh you know we wanted to get other writers to write it and uh and they wanted uh what, what did they call it money Oh, yes. Uh, they wanted you to pay them to oh. do it. Uh, and then it was, they had other jobs as well. The people that we wanted were obviously more established writers. And uh, it turned out other people wanted them to do their projects as well. So ultimately it came out of a frustration with the more glacial pace of movie development more than anything else. What would you say is the biggest challenge when you're actually on the ground making it? I would say it was not knowing what I was doing. Oh, in any way. Interesting. You know, having those days where somebody would have to tap you on the shoulder and go lens cap. Oh, so we're supposed to turn these on. No, it was mainly that I was fortunate. I had a very strong crew uh, and the conditions were not probably ideal. We didn't have a ton of money. It was summertime. It was Ramadan. So a lot of the uh, crew was fasting at the time, you know, those were the challenges, but, but every production faces its own. And in some ways, I think it helped us focus a little bit more. We were shooting six days a week, trying to just uh, do, do the best we could. And maybe that helped give us a sense of, you know, look, we were shooting a movie about a man slowly wasting away in prison. What better way to do that than in incredibly hot, austere conditions? Uh, happy days. Yes. And how close were you? And this is meant to be you know, a facetious question more than the rest of the questions have been, but Farsi, how close are you to actually making this like in that was my original intention was to we were going to do this in farsi with only actors that had been imprisoned in iran with a, a sense of and, and maziar you know very shrewdly said to me but don't we want people to see it so well, that, that probably makes sense uh i mean i had to you know as i've said to, to be before own, you sort of own your own inauthenticity and so this his memoir is a reflection of his times it's not it's his memory of his time there. This film is an interpretation of his memory. So it's already yeah. twice removed. And then we just added a Mexican guy just to really make it like three times removed. I watched this film with uh, my girlfriend and she's a huge fan of The Bridge. Ah, uh, so she knows Kim. So she saw Kim and went, oh my God. Martin! That she was, Kim is um, the specialist. Uh, yes. That a lot of people would call either a torturer yes. or a, uh, or if they're being generous, um, a very harsh interviewer. But he is a star of The Bridge. Yes. Uh, did you know The Bridge before you cast him? I was familiar with it in a very peripheral way, mm. more so when I started to look into him. And suddenly you went, you know what? I think this guy could do it. I think he can scream into the air. Of I think he can do that very well. Lead actor. Now, can he, the one thing I, I wondered is, can he bring the vulnerability that he needed? Because you didn't want him to become a two-dimensional monster. Uh, and, and he was able to do that beautifully. 
And whilst you were away, you were covered by John Oliver. And I'm, I'm just going to bring him up again because I have a weird family connection to him. Because to John Oliver? Yes. He, wait, it's, it's more tangential than you think. All right. I know we can't address the same, but... All right. My uncle was in a play with him when he was very, very young in Bedford. Really? And he played the Winslow Boy in a play called, surprise, surprise, the Winslow Boy. And Oh, he was the lead. Your I, uncle or John Oliver? John Oliver was the young'un. Um, John far, Oliver was the Winslow boy. As far as I remember it, yeah. John Oliver brags about that. There's not a time that goes by. <laughs> you know, we'll be talking about something. We'll be talking about uh, uh, the way to do a certain headline or the way to do something. And he would say, look, I don't want to brag. But I was the Winslow boy. So I think I know how to do this. Yeah. So there, uh, he was constantly throwing the Winslow boy thing in our faces. Never really mentioned your uncle. Oh. To be quite frank. Damn. Who played? I don't know the role that he played. No, I, I don't remember either. He, the Winslow boyfriend. I don't know what he did. The Winslow man. Um, right. And he covered for you whilst you did this in the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. He's now gone on to be some kind of successful guy. How much of all of his praise do you accept? Because you. Can't. How much of his praise do yeah, I accept? You, you kind of made him. Let's be honest. I, di- I really didn't it's, make I mean, him. It's all you. You know, you don't. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I am Rasputin. All praise goes to John Oliver. People are given opportunities, but what they do with that opportunity is solely up to them. And he, I mean, we knew from day one when he got there, he had a nice special combination of abilities and dimples that we knew would take him far. I better make this guy my friend, otherwise he's going to get me. Otherwise, I will be swallowed up in mostly that right dimple. The left dimple never mm. seemed yeah. as uh, as difficult or as uh, imposing. But the right one we knew, mm. boy, you could fill that thing with clotted cream and take a swim. Um, my final question on him is, um, do you watch the show now that he does last week tonight? Yes. And go, that's too good. I, you, this is, I don't, you Stop just, being so good. Stop it. Uh, I always like good things. Oh, do you? I, I'm kind of a fan of good things. That's interesting. So when I see good things, I think, why don't more people do good things oh. like this? I, I, I think, I think a lot of things. Boy, wouldn't the world be nice if everything was this good? Yeah. So I don't generally dislike good things. I'm kind of a more of a fan of it. Huh. Like I see a sitcom like Seinfeld, and I think this is quite good. I think I think more people should do this. I think more Not people less. should watch this, yeah. Because it's very rare that I watch crap and think, hmm, mm, crap. We should make more crap. Yeah. But, I mean, this is tangential to me getting onto the Salmon Cannon, which was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. What was that email like when you were told about the Salmon Cannon? I come from a world where we have very serious conversations at work about how many times we can say the word dildo. So getting an email about a Salmon Cannon is not necessarily outside the realm of our uh, general daily, hey, we just got a call from from ad sales. Could you not say that Arby's is like someone shitting on your tongue? You know, so that's, you know, the conversations we have at work are, are generally absurd within that. If anything, you thought this was too normal. That is correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, tomorrow, we are recording this in February, but this is coming out in May when, yes. when Rosewater is out. Tomorrow is something called the Academy Awards. And you were involved with such a thing. Oh, right. Years ago. I went there twice. Mm. And I 
told them a couple of jokes, yeah. much to their consternation. They didn't see that coming. And uh, and then I left for a little bit, and then I came back out, mm. made a witty retort about something that had just happened on the stage, left again, came back out, tried to do the same thing, and then got uh, shit-faced drunk afterwards, yes. twice, and had a In-N-Out burger. Or as they call it in the States, hosting. Now, do you get... Residuals? <laughs> That's a great question. How often are they on repeat? Uh, no, I was wondering... The Oscars, are they something that you go, you know what, I'm never going to watch them again. You know, they're, they're what they are. I've, I've done that. No, I would watch it. It's, it's, there are very few cultural experiences anymore that people generally <laughs> tune into. So anytime you have a, an opportunity to be a part of something that maybe might be mm. uh, uh, a shared experience within, you know, the world has become so striated in terms of what people watch and things. So I, I generally tune into things, your Grammys, your Oscars, your your uh, live musicals, your Super Bowls, your something. Because, uh, you know, you never want to get caught at the drive-thru at a fast food restaurant. Somebody's like, hey, how about those Oscars last night, huh? And you're like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's my nightmare. That yeah, my nightmare. you don't want to be there and not be able to say like, yeah, how about that fucking Travolta thing, huh? That was crazy. Yeah, that, that was truly, I was glad to be alive. I mean, right. he, he may have felt red-faced, but he made so many people so happy. Right, but who was more red-faced, him or the person the next day that went, hey, Adele Kazim? And you're like, I, I don't know what you're saying. And you're then you're the one with the egg on your face, and Travolta's let off the hook. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking here: Do you have? Do you get asked for tips on the Oscars and on hosting them? And do you have any tips for any imaginary Oscars hosts in the future? Are there any key uh, things to remember? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that you know, if if you're looking at it, that thing that I did, you, you probably don't want to do that. <laughs> they they like him more. Like I remember Hugh Jackman did it, and uh, I remember calling him the next uh, after he had done it. And saying, well, shit, if I had known they wanted like a multi-talented guy to come out there and like blow the room away, okay, I just didn't know. I didn't realize that that's what they wanted. If I'd known that, sure. There's no memo. I would have come out and done that. Wish I'd, wish I'd seen that before. You've also, and this is a great thing to say out loud, you are the possessor of 20 Emmys. Is that right? I am building a, I don't want to talk about it. It's an Emmy laser that I'm, I'm building that I, I can't really talk about the science behind it, but, uh, it's it's something we've been working on for quite some time. And over the course of this um, this movie being made, and obviously the press junket, which probably the press tour, which has mm-hmm. probably taken longer than the film took to get made, by maybe three times. I thought that might be the case. Yes. Obviously, I don't want to give you to give me notes right now, but do you, as a interviewer, mm-hmm. occasionally feel this is a bit surreal that you're getting interviewed this many times? It's the it's the the shoes on the other foot. Right. If I considered myself an interviewer. <laughs> that would be something that might have occurred to me. You've interviewed a few people. Let's... I've interviewed a few people, but generally because it's just too fucking tiring to write another six minutes of material. So the, the interview is, is generally, wow, we produced, uh, we produced the first two acts. What do we do now? Why don't you talk to that guy? Sure. <laughs> what did he do? Wrote a book. Fine. A book, you say? I've heard of them. Great. Looking back on the interviews you have done, which stand out for you that you think, I'm never going to forget that in my life? That's just was such a wonderful moment. Uh, we've also got, in this film on Rosewater, you've got Jason Jones. I think cameo was wrong. Right. I don't think it's a cameo as such. We had the essence of Jones. We, we added a little bit of Jones, just a touch of Jones. Soup song. Yes. Uh, Most recipes need an amuse-bouche of Jones, just mm-hmm. to put him in there. He's in it, in his um, spy attire. Yes. Uh, his spatire and he's he, he you reenact that interview yes which is so important to everything was that a special special day on set to, to not only have him 
with you, but to be recreating this thing? Uh, it was more for him, I think it was surreal because he came in, you know, with every other character they are, they have to go through their methodology of acting and rely on sense memory and the Strasbourg exercises that they had done. And Jonesy just came in and fucking banged out 10 minutes Jonesy. And I was like, wow, I could have sh shot this movie in three hours if everybody came in like that. I mean, he just came in and, and dominated, dunked a couple of times on us and then hopped on a plane and went back home. Did you ever go, no, I don't think that's quite Jonesy, Jonesy enough. enough. Yeah. Um, could you just well, I remember we auditioned a lot of Jonesies and I remember thinking, mm, let me just go with Jonesy. I'm going to have to pay a little bit more and get this guy. Yeah, yeah. or a little bit less and get that guy. <laughs> With you being a director now, is that what's next for you? Are you going to be more directing? Are we going to see more directing from you? I do it now. I try and, and incorporate a little bit of that uh, in my life now. For instance, when I so in the mornings when I sit down for the kids uh, before school, uh, before breakfast, I will say action. Yeah. And then uh, oftentimes cut. And then we and then we always go off to school. Can we get that again, but more blue? That's right. I don't believe you and your homework. So you're going to have to, you know, and then we obviously, we check the gate and we move on. Sure. This is, we paid for real cereal. I want to see you eat it. That's right. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. For taking it has time. been a pleasure. Um, hopefully for me, yeah, for you, <laughs> for me, I flew all the way over here because I knew that you, John Oliver's second, third cousin, John Oliver's third cousin from the Winslow boy was going to be doing this. Well, I'm a, excited to It's do a pleasure. It. Well, next time somebody asks you what do you like to do in London, just say... Podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> Only podcasts. It's the future of media. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much, John. Thank you. Enjoy your Maltesers. Thank you, sir. Uh, and let's start the reviews section now with uh, Rosewater. And then we'll move on to Spooks, The Greater Good. The Greater the Good. Greater good. There we go. Greater Good. Uh, so, yeah, Rosewater. What do we think of this one? Well, I wrote the review for this and I really liked it. I think it's when you hear the premise that it's basically about a guy getting imprisoned unjustly and tortured, you know, it sounds extremely heavy. And of course, there are moments of real darkness in here. But it's surprisingly upbeat as well, to the extent where I think sometimes people accuse Stuart of being uh, almost naive in his belief that basically there's kind of, there's good out there. And I think there's a, there's an element that where he'll probably get accused of the same thing here. But there's there's a real emphasis on kind of humanizing the people in Iran in a way that certainly the US media generally fails to do. And that goes even to the extent of, of looking a little bit at the torturer, uh, Javadi, who's played by um, Kim Bodnia from The Bridge. And and he is he's a really interesting figure here because he is clearly not... A t he's, he's a very tough guy. He's thuggish. You know, he will beat you up, he will do whatever is necessary to get, you know, the the you know, the the confession or whatever that he wants. But he's kind of sad. He he doesn't know stuff about the world. He's, you know, desperate for promotion and to be taken seriously as more than a thug. And it's so it's a really interesting uh approach. It, mm. it doesn't it doesn't take away from what he does, I don't think. He still does horrendous things, but it it stops you from seeing him as a cardboard cartoonish sort of yeah. a villain um, which I thought was really clever and then I think you know Gael Garcia Bernal we could certainly have a discussion about the appropriateness of perhaps 
casting a Mexican guy as a Middle Eastern character. Um, but at the same time, he's very, very good in the role. So it's kind of hard to argue with at the end of the day. Um, he comes from a family of dissidents. And I think there's a, there's an element of his character feeling um, feeling like he, he owes more to the memory of his father and his sister who were genuinely protesters against the regime. And he's kind of caught up in something. And there's an element of him... I guess, not finding himself in prison at all or anything that mawkish, but, you know, being sort of introspective and, and tr- trying to think about his own life in the context of this horrendous ordeal. So, so yeah. Uh, John Stewart is a director. It's not a barrel of laughs, this film, is it? Well, the, it's actually surprisingly funny okay. um, a, a lot of the time, given that you go in expecting it to be completely dreary and awful in that sense. Um I think he's. I think he's all right. I think there's there's a good sense of motion. The first sort of third of the film is essentially a, a quick primer to what is Iran and what what do people do there, um, which is which is useful for many of us, including me. Um, and then and then he gets into something slightly more, um, slightly more locked down. I guess obviously, quite literally. For me, that's, that's where the film didn't fall apart. It doesn't fall apart. It's a very good film. I did like it. I think it's worthy. I think it's admirable. It taught me loads. It taught mm. me a lot. And you think you know what's going on and you really don't uh, and even afterwards like you have to catch up on so much more history that's happened since then yeah but i did feel once once he is locked up it does by its nature get a bit as you say locked down huh? yeah. and i don't want to say lumpy but it just gets a bit it gets a bit grueling um and i found it tough mm. uh, and not in the way i think he wanted me to it, it became a tough watch and, and not the right way for me i found it a little bit um Still water rather than rose water. It just kind of, mm. it just was just kind of there. But I, it's it's a very difficult film to make, and I think it made a very good job of it. Mm. But I think in of itself, it's not that cinematic, though it is very important. Cool. Uh, we gave it four stars, four mm. stars and for rose water. Uh, I should point out that Empire cameos. We do, yeah. So we should probably declare an interest or something. <laughs> we should, yeah. Uh, there at the beginning, yeah. Uh, yeah it, one of the reasons he gets he gets arrested is because they find uh, the Empire with Megan Fox on the cover, our finest hour, uh, and they think that that's porn, um, and and that's one of the things that gets him arrested. So, uh, Mr. Bahari, if you're listening, sorry. They also again. think a box set of The Sopranos and an old LP are mm. porn. Yeah, I mean they basically see porn everywhere, um, yeah. a lot like Chris. What? Oh, sorry, the pizza delivery guys just arrived. Uh, okay, let's move on now to Spooks. The Greater the Good. Greater the Greater Good. good. The greater Good. Greater Good. Greater good. <laughs> so this, I'll take this one. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Go for it. Go Kit for Harrington, it, Game of Thrones, Peter Firth from Spooks, and obviously many, <laughs> many, many other things. Equus, as we talked about. Uh, we have together here a perfectly decent spy thriller uh, that takes the... You know, they were kind of mini-movies, the original episodes of Spooks. Uh, they were well produced, some of the best stuff BBC's ever done. And this just kind of extends it a bit more mm-hmm. and gives it a bit more life and adds a new character in the form of Kit Harrington, who plays this young spy who was pushed out of the service by Peter Firth's head of the MI5. Um, you're not quite sure why, but Peter Firth then discovers that because there are malevolent forces at the top of MI5 trying to kind of neuter it and put it into the hands of the Americans, he has to fake his own death and essentially escape, go off the grid, and then bring back the one person he thinks he can still trust, Kit Harrington's character, who's called Will Holloway, bring him back in, and then use him and work together with him to uh, to reveal the truth and uh, stop a terrorist attack. It's a film, as we talked about in the interview, that's a bit difficult to actually talk about because it's 
as Spooks often was, full of twists and turns and spoilers and deaths and all sorts. And again, even saying that is maybe giving away too much, but there's a lot going on in here. And it does a perfectly good job. You get character flashbacks. Malcolm, the guy in the flat cap, uh, who does the tech stuff, he's back. It's It feels like it is very much connected to the original TV show. But if you do pull at some of the threads of the plot, it does come away. But you could say the same for any of the spook shows. Mm. You could go, hang on, if he did this, how does he know that? And you can say the, way, the same for most spy movies. Certainly true. I mean, there was one moment in particular where a character um, played by... Something like Bathsheba Moneypenny, uh, but her name is Tuppence Middleton. Has a truck, a white van, go away from her, and uh, uh, she may be two, three, four, five meters away from the van, and she doesn't read its number plate and mention it to anyone. So there are moments like that where you go, "You are a spy, right?" Okay, fine. But perfectly serviceable, good fun, solid stuff. And if you love the show or even just like the show, you will eat this up. Born on a budget, <laughs> I would say so. It's, I'd say it's The Office meets Born. I will say, I don't think it, it tries to sort of do Bourne or mimic Bourne, um, which I think is a good thing, and I give it credit for that, because while I love Bourne, I think a lot of films have been aping it ever since, not least mm. James Bond. So that could get a little bit um, old it if is. it had done that. And, and there's there's elements of that just because it's also lo-fi and it's also in European cities and it's also very kinetic, but it doesn't feel like he's ever doing a Bourne. That's true. I mean, it's a shame they do go to Alexander Platz. Yes. Uh, I will point that out. <laughs> There is a moment with a tram where you go, okay, that is highly unfortunate. But it was, you know, financed by Germans, so that'll explain that then. Peter Firth's character has plenty of really robust, fruity lines where he balls out people to corner phrase. Um, huh. But yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable, serviceable, fun rock. Yeah. Okay. I, w- uh, I would say that it's a little bit, it, it annoyed me slightly that at times they feel more concerned with protecting the service than they do with protecting anything else. Yeah. Around, but perhaps that's something that plays better to real hardcore fans of the show. But yeah, I did like it. Three stars for Spooks. The greater good. Greater good. The greater good. The greater good. The last one we're going to tackle in uh, what I'm laughingly calling depth this week is uh, Top Five, uh, written, directed by, and starring Chris Rock as a comedian struggling with his lot in life. Um, but this is very funny, isn't it, Helen? It is actually. Despite yeah, what I've is, just, it sounds so like mean. it sounds like it's an exercise in navel gate and an introspection, but it, it isn't that. Yeah, I mean there is an element of that, but it's if it is uh, navel gazing, it's it's quite effective navel gazing, I think, which is always okay, really. Mm. Well, ish. Um, so yeah, Chris Rock, I think, hasn't been this good in, in a very long time, if at all, on the big screen, and he basically is a is a comic actor in the movies. He's he's trying desperately to promote this new film he has coming out which looks dreadful um (laughs) spends the day with a newspaper reporter played by rosario dawson rather than doing the usual thing of having you know 56 tv spots that day but you know fine let's go with the movie um (laughs) now meanwhile he's planning his marriage to a reality show star um played by gabrielle union uh who never ever ages i swear swear to god she's looked the same way for at least the last 20 years Mm. but anyway she's fabulous but also awful rosario dawson is obviously awesome um so there's a little bit of a romantic thing that kind of builds up between them choose and sort rosario of... dawson sorry choose rosario dawson well I, I i know your feelings on this matter chris <laughs> you've made them clear over the last decade <laughs> I, I voted for her in the general election so yeah so there's a little bit of there, there is substance to this movie it's not just a sort of a rom-com oh goodness who will the handsome rich guy choose out of these two gorgeous women uh, there is an element of of actual you know meat to it as well there's discussion of you know 
uh, how Hollywood works, how stardom works, how fame works in the modern day, um, how journalism even works a little bit as well, although it's a very, very idealistic view of how journalists get to work these days, especially with stars. Um, well, Chris spent a day with Rosario Dawson. I mean, he can't do it ever again, obviously. Yeah, no, she, she actually didn't know I was there, but that's... <laughs> you got some good copying. Got some great copy in. Her walls are really spacious, guys. I really, I wasn't. Oh, I mean, that's I was so okay, disturbed this is, this right is now. Very creepy. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's move on. It's gone really bad. <laughs> Apologies, Rosario Dawson, if you're listening. But, I did interview her recently, actually. Well, there you go. She is very, very funny. Yeah, she is. She's yeah. a geek as well, Chris. You know that. I am aware of this, Helen. Anyway, my point is, it's good. It's cute. It's um, it's kind of a nice romantic film without being a toothless, boring, predictable romantic film, I think. Um, and it is very funny. We gave it four stars. Four stars for top five. Sounds better than that movie where he, four years before Obama came to power, said, what if a black man was president? I mean, wouldn't that be crazy? Um, Head of state. Head of state, there you Head go. Head of state. Sorry, all, all, there was a certain point where all Chris Rock's movies blended into one, but... This does. This is based. The idea of this film is based on Kevin Smith, who fell in love with a journalist, and uh, he was inspired by that. Obviously, they were in Dogma together, and also Kevin Smith uh, directed it. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, he played the other apostle. So Rufus. So that's where it came from, which I mm-hmm. think is really cute and neat really and cute. nice. Mm. Yeah. Hooray! And if any uh, attractive Hollywood A-listers would like to fall in love with a journalist, uh, my email is <laughs> actually no, just tweet me, just Chris Hewitt, just if you. Good luck with that, Chris. I think I think I think I think I think I think I've snagged a few already, Helen. I think my Twitter's going it's pinging. My Twitter is pinging. All right. Uh that is it for the films we're gonna cover in depth because Helen has to go to Alton Towers. Woo! Uh which I highly recommend for Steig and Hindus because that's where I had mine. Your Hindu uh, a few years ago. I had my Hindu and you were there. You know how you know how to oh, watch that yeah. yeah. Let's not talk about it. Whatever happens at Alton Towers stays in splash landings but we will say briefly this week also out is the sam jackson as a president of the united states of america meets young finnish boy on hunting expedition while being pursued by terrorists who just shot down air force one comedy thriller big game which isn't as good as it sounds i enjoyed it it sounds like it was a big shame it, it sadly it is a bit of a big shame uh however i will say this it has possibly the funniest death scene I've ever seen. I think it's fun. There you go. There we go. I think it was a little harsh on it in my review, to be honest. I gave it two stars, um, but it's a three, really. I'd give it three. And for the death scene alone, it's probably (laughs) a five. Uh, We also have uh, Blake Lively in Age of Adeline. Uh, She never ages in Age of Adeline, uh, which is not to be confused with Age of Ultron. Um, Crossover for that would be... Really, truly uh, spectacular. That also has, it's worth mentioning, uh, Michael Huseman, I'm not sure how I pronounce it, from Game of Thrones, who is totes dreamy. <laughs> that, that got three stars. That's important. Uh, we have the French coming of uh, age tale girlhood, not to be confused with boyhood, but uh, almost as good. Uh, four stars for that one. So it's, it's a packed week at the, old, uh, bo- at the old cinema this week. Uh, some good stuff. Probably film of the week. Top five of girlhood, but looking at uh, looking at stuff here, looking at the old statistics, and would you say top you, five has been getting a lot of good reviews across the board? Top five, Rosewater also good, and hey, if you do like Spooks, the Greater Good, the Greater Good, <sighs> the Greater Good, go and see Spooks, the Greater Good. <laughs> 
I give up. Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast of Greater Good. Uh, join us next week. Come on, guys. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Sarah Gaydon, star of A Royal Night Out. We'll be discussing Mad Max Fury Road. Until that momentous day, it's goodbye from Helen. The greater good. It's goodbye from Ali. The greater good. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to check my DMs for a message from Rosario Dawson. <laughs> nope, nothing. Just you keep refreshing, Chris. Yep, still nothing. See you next week.